Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 127 for April 3rd, 2013. On today's show, we're celebrating six years of Wood Talk by doing absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. Just a regular Happy show. Happy birthday! <laughs> yeah, no just special. like every other anniversary I've been involved with. <laughs> Let's not do anything tonight, honey. Let's just uh, have, have breakfast for dinner and sit around and do nothing. Mark, Matt, you guys are getting lucky tonight. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All right, well, on today's show, we're going to talk about circular saw blades, liability insurance, cutting face frames without big tools, upgrading your chisels, planing thin stock, choosing a shop space, creating stop dados with hand tools, and applying armor seal over newly stained wood. But before we get to that, let's hear what the sponsors have to say. Today's show is supported by Hardwood To Go, your source for wood on the web. Visit them online at hardwoodtogo.com and pick your boards or send them an email for a custom order. We're woodworkers just like you, and we're happy to help you find the right wood for your next project. Use coupon code WOODTALK to receive 10% off your order. Offer good till May 31st, 2013. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at FestoolUSA.com. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion for the show? You know what? You have several different ways to contact us. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com, and you can leave us a comment over on WoodTalk Facebook page. In other words, we're trying to tell you you have options. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to pinhole you into one thing or another. you got all of those things there that you could do. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or maybe the downloads from today's show or perhaps a previous episode, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And, of course, we're going to remind you all this stuff at the end of the episode when you're going to be like, please, I've got to leave a comment because I don't know what the heck they were talking about. <laughs> I got to. I got to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta set the story straight. I'm going to say, you know. So anyways, though, Ooh. what's going on, guys? What do we have? We have uh, what's on the bench? I know. I've got a little something going on, but I want to hear what you guys have got going on so I can decide if I'm just really pathetic with my yes. going on. Yes. Let me answer <laughs> that for you. Yes. And my family already gave me that response too. So it's, it's about <laughs> on par. Very nice. <laughs> well, I'll jump in there. Um, cause I, it's fresh in my mind. I actually just published a blog post on this topic a couple of hours ago. I am, I'm completely paralyzed. <laughs> um, well, that's terrible, I, Shannon. Yeah. It's nothing to be laughing about. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, the good news. Sure. True. Especially considering <laughs> Every I tools. my back recently. That might be taken <laughs> wrong. I have this incredible piece of air-dried walnut, this big slab that I resawed out and I'm making uh, a drop leaf top. And every, the more I look at it, the more I can't figure out how I want to put it together. And it's like the minute I make a saw cut, I'm committed. Mm -hmm. And this is just one of those unique pieces of wood that I can't can't just go get another one. And it's one of those things where you're like almost afraid to move ahead and mm -hmm. I need to smack myself around and just do something. I have now laid out like 12 different ways that I can either book match or slip match or it's just nuts. And uh, I don't know. I just need to get over myself and move on. That can be scary. I've got those two figured maple live edge boards sitting in the shop and they're new to the shop. But I'm looking at them knowing this is going to be a very long relationship of me. Just looking at them <laughs> yeah, because I'm afraid absolutely. to pull the trigger and commit it. It's such a beautiful piece of wood. I totally understand what you're going through. Yeah, it's a mixture like of leaning, of, ahead, you find yourself like leaning up against the bench and then suddenly that inspiration hits you and you start to move forward and then suddenly like the hesitation kicks in. <laughs> oh, so never back again. <laughs> Wait, no. Uh, Psych. Eh. Yeah. It's, it's a mixture of having these really cool live edges, but there's also these big cracks that I want to put butterfly spines in mm. and, then I'm, I, it's a drop leaf. So I, I have to have two, well, technically, what, four straight edges for the rule joints. So I have to figure out how to do that. And I can't put the crack too close to the rule joint or I'll compromise the joint. And it's it's just ridiculous. I'm finding myself talking in circles and, and I just need to decide. Yeah, um, just move forward. But, yeah, well. Paralysis. It's mean, really bad if you're having a conversation with yourself and Alex ends up leaving. Like, dude, I can't take this anymore. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> it's just funny you say that because I I started recording the layout and I looked back at the camera and realized I'd been going for 13 minutes and I was just <laughs> talking, just talking to myself. It's like this total stream of consciousness and thing. Very but therapeutic. Yep, <laughs> that's getting deleted. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's anyway, awesome. That's me. <laughs> what's up with uh what's up with you matt 
Well, the the big thing for me is, and I, I posted a little video about this uh, last week. I, I ended up picking up a a box of scraps, is what I'm calling it. And I'm, I'm sure you have this over at your your lumber mill there, Shannon. With with you have like these offcuts that they're like too small to be able to sell, but at the same time, they're too big to just simply toss away. Although with some of your, your fellow coworkers, that's probably not an issue. Say, um, that's called the dumpster. <laughs> well, but, so I, I have this, like, it's like 10 pounds of scraps, which I just still can't believe that it's 10 pounds. It looks like it's too much in there. My biggest problem is the, the up until this point, my use of exotics is Pennsylvania cherry, which is totally exotic to Michigan. Uh, I, I don't even know what any of these are. I think I identified one, like stock that's in there. I'm like, okay, I think this is, no, I'm not. A, it's it's got to be purple heart because it's the only wood I know that's actually purple. So <laughs> that's, that's the only one I'm thinking. If you don't mind, I'm I'm going to box this back up. I'm going to send it to you. And then if you could just mark someplace on there and let me know what each one is and then mail it back to me, that'd probably help me out quite a bit. Perfect. That'd be fun. You should actually like p- take pictures and put it online. It'd be a little contest. There you go. See who can identify the most wins a Matt's Basement Workshop T-shirt or something. That'll be fun. There you go. That's kind of a neat idea. The big one that my family's really the the ladies are ooing and eyeing about is there's one that maybe you can identify right now. It's it, it to me it looks like uh, a strawberry vanilla twist. It has this like red streaks with like tulip a, wood. Box oh. elder. <laughs> Wait, which one? It could be either. Okay. Oh, in that case, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a picture of it. Freshly cut box elder has that kind of flamey strawberry looking thing to it too. But yeah, I mean, it looks exactly really hard, really dense. Um, I don't know. I haven't like thrown it at anything yet, so I couldn't tell you. I haven't really done anything. It's still sitting. (laughs) Is that how you determine? (laughs) If if it doesn't shatter when it hits the cement wall, it must be a hardwood. (laughs) I I like your way of testing. That's a very good test. That's the way to go. Yeah. So that's anyway. So that that's my big thing. Maybe I will do that. Maybe I'll take some pictures and have a little contest or something and say like, please tell me what I have. I haven't got a clue. Hopefully, I'm not allergic to it. That's the other big one. (laughs) Let's hope. So anyways, but that's about all I have going on. Mark, what do you, what do you have going on in that echoey shop that you have? Oh, echoey shop. Um, you know, we have a poll of the week later that's on uh, tool matching, and it's a question that was brought up that had to do with uh, something in the forum. And we also asked the poll the the week before, and we, I don't know why it didn't get on the show. Did we talk about the box joint thing on the show? No, because we did our rapid fire. Oh, that's why I couldn't remember why we missed it. There you go. Well, last week's poll, which we won't be talking about today, is how people make box joints. And, you know, like little finger joints. If you're not familiar, it's a good way to bring two pieces together for like a a box or even casework if you wanted to. Um, So they were asking the question, what do you use to do it? And one of the replies that caught my attention was uh, the folks who say, I use the iBox jig. And it's Incra's um, jig that they have. If you go on Amazon, it's 154.95, so it isn't cheap. And this is something that I mean, box joint jigs—you could whip one out really quick with a miter gauge and some scrap. Uh, but this is something that allows you to really dial in the precision. And people are just saying nothing but great things about it. And Incra makes good stuff, so I mean, you, you can't imagine it's going to be uh, bad. So I was like, you know what? This is one of those times where like people yell at me all the time for influencing them to spend a bunch of money. And here's a case where I asked the question and wind up finding, or actually technically Tom asked the question, but um, the response is influence me to spend some money. So I dropped 155 beans on this thing and haven't had time to open it and play with it yet, but it looks really good. And I've got some um, some small drawers to make for the shop and I'm going to make them out of plywood. But if I could have nice box joints there on something like shop furniture, I think that'd be great, especially if I could batch them out in no time like this. Uh, so it's the Incra iBox jig. I'll do like a review on the site. And, and I have a little, I have a, a bit of a soft spot in my heart for Incra only because I did a review of their table saw uh, uh, fence system years ago. And I kind of crapped on it. And I, I just, it wasn't the right fence for me. I didn't enjoy it. And and you won't find anybody who has a bad thing to say about that fence, <laughs> uh, except for me. So um, so I kind of feel bad because Incra makes great stuff. But I had the one review of Incra products that I've got on my website is a crappy review. So hopefully wow. this will be a way for me to redeem myself in there. So eyes. we now know where the 1% <laughs> lives on the Incra reviews yes so so that's that so hopefully this box jig will be uh as good as people say it is and we'll, uh, we'll find out well it has the ibox name which i mean if i see anything with i in front of it i'm mm-hmm. like i'm all over it you know it's got to be good right yeah 
Exactly. Yeah. So you can charge more just because of that. True. Yeah. That. Tell me, how do you exactly do you hook it up to your iPad? Is it is there a plug that comes with Where it? Where do I plug do it in? To... Where's my USB port? I can't find it. Uh, all right. Let's move to the around the web segment. We've got quite a few links in here. I don't know who put these in there. So if you uh, put a link in, talk about it. Oh, it's been quite a while, but I do remember this one: the portable mortising router. Part one. I don't remember if there's like two parts or five parts of this. Essentially, this is a homemade domino. Uh, this one was sent in a while ago. If you do check out this video, it's actually in Russian. So just do yourself a favor. And if you don't know Russian, just turn the volume off. Maybe put on like some Pink Floyd. I'm sure somehow it will match up. I don't know exactly when to get the <laughs> sequence going. Uh, but essentially, this is literally the, the, the individual made housing out of like some nice plywood and it even has like a handle and stuff almost kind of tries to mimic the shape of uh, a actual domino. And then it's using just I, I can't decide if it's a uh, j- just a miniature, uh, a small router, like a trim router or it's the, the motor that you just simply just take out of a combo kit, pops it right in and it goes from there. So it's, it's kind of a neat look. I only got through part one. I didn't get through the other parts. Uh, so it, it's kind of an interesting look at somebody's take on this. And if you're really ambitious, maybe you want to make one. The the funny thing is I'm watching this. I'm having memories of being in school and you're the kid that comes in, like something becomes popular, but your family doesn't have much money. So you get the <laughs> no. like off version of oh, that yeah. thing and you come in and you're like, Oh, look what I got. And everybody's like, that's, that's not the real one. You know? Oh my God. I bet it was like my death star made out of a refrigerator box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I picture, I picture, you know, you go to the work site and this is of course an imaginary situation where on the work site, everybody has dominoes, but you walk up and everybody's got their domino and you walk up with this giant clunky plywood looking <laughs> thing. And it's like, what? Well, it's just as good. You know? <laughs> oh, Sam will kill me for this one, but there was an incident with guest jeans, and apparently she made her own label on a pair of jeans, and uh, she's not very good at spelling, so we'll just leave it at that. It was nice. pretty obvious. Oh, nice. That's, That's great. Awesome. Well, and, and this is said from you know the kid who went to school with the sneakers that were made of that really hard plastic. Oh, <laughs> because, yes. Right on. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> my mom wouldn't let me get the real good name brand stuff, so um, uh-huh. you know, I, I speak from experience with this. <laughs> Oh, the childhood flashbacks. <laughs> oi, oi, oi. All right. Moving on. What do we got next? Well, speaking of, of high-end things, I, um, I'm i not really a big fan of writing tool reviews. I don't do very many of them on mm-hmm. my site. I think there's maybe five. So I'm throwing this into the show notes here so I don't have to write one. <laughs> there you um, go. I had uh, a couple of saws sent to me from Bont's Sawworks, um, bontsawworks.net. And these are just awesome. And this is truly truly high-end tool this is kind of in like the infill plane world Mm, of saws okay but what floors me is his prices are just not that expensive he's on par with with like the bad axe tool works or maybe a slightly cheaper um bad axe winsloff i kind of consider those guys to be the top of the game and and ron bonds is right there or just a little bit under and this is just it's it's certainly about how the saws are tuned. They work incredibly well. They cut really, really well. They're definitely kind of custom filed to make them work real well for a specific reason. But they're just, they got bling. That's the best thing I could say. They're gorgeous, man. These, they, yeah, they, he's got this kind of art deco influence to them. So mm-hmm. the backs have, um, well, it looks kind of, if you're a green and green fan, it looks like cloud lifts. Yeah. But, you know, hold one of his saws up to the Empire State Building. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, he's got different saw handle designs that I've never seen before. The handles are thicker. He uses a lot of, uh, figured woods. It's just, it's a beautiful saw to hold. It kind of fits your hand really, really well. And it's just gorgeous to look at. So, um, Ron's just getting started. And in fact, his site is not even fully up and running and Ron, quite a few spelling mistakes on your site too, I might add, (laughs) but you know, it's just, it's just well worthwhile because, um, if you guys remember eccentric tool works, Mm-hmm. Um, he, I can't say he went on a business, but he never really had the intention of making a bunch of saws in the first place <laughs> until he was Schwarzed and then it was all over. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just love to see this guy be successful. I've had some conversations with him about providing lumber to him for his saws. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, it's so cool to see a guy like this. Who's got so much attention to detail in the tools he's making. It would just be nice to see him take off these so are beautiful in in sort of a um you know how i mean things can have a sort of uh, femininity to them or a masculinity in their design and this is meant in the most complimentary way possible there is a definite femininity to these designs yeah, yeah it's, it's like it, jewelry 
Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because the one thing I'm noticing on this is I, I I don't know why, but I'm drawn to the fact that the front end of these have like that nice round yeah. kind of it, – it just yeah. – it looks really cool. The other thing is apparently he took a lot of these photos on February 19th of this year around uh, between 10 <laughs> and 1130. <laughs> And I also know that he has 2,428 visitors on his site. <laughs> Where's his guest book? I want to sign it. Ter- terrible nice. old school joke. Anyway. Oh, wait. This one was uh, from actually December 3rd uh, at around uh, 1, 1 p.m. <laughs> oh, and so. here's the thing. In spite of that, the beauty of these saws shines through. It doesn't matter what do. this guy's website looks like. Those saw yeah. designs are just fantastic. Really, yeah. well done. And Ron's just an incredibly nice guy. Very down to earth guy. Just loves what he does. Cool. So I don't know. I just, I like to see these boutique guys do well. I think sure. it's good for our craft. Ride the yeah. wave, man. It's uh things are going well for some of these guys. So hopefully he'll do well too. Yeah. Yep. All joking aside, these are absolutely gorgeous. I could totally see these hanging in my shop. They are beautiful. Cool. All right. What's next? Uh, Whose is this? Uh, idea. <laughs> I, it's probably me then, but I don't remember this one because this one got posted like several weeks ago. Well, so. I've, okay. I've watched it, so if you want me to okay. jump Yeah, on please, it, uh, take it away. This is, uh, uh, if you haven't heard of Paul Sellers by now, then you Ooh. probably have. Um, if you didn't go on Twitter two weeks on YouTube ago. <laughs> it's called, uh, he calls it the poor man's hand router. And uh, it's just one of those cool things where, um, you know, we talk about, you know, you need this tool, you need this tool. And Paul's very much a, you don't need a bunch of tools. You can get by with a smoothing plane or whatever. He just takes a chisel, drills a hole in a block, jams the chisel in the block, and he's got a router. And it's just kind of cool. I mean, I think the entire video is about five minutes long. And by the time he's done, he's got a functioning router plane. So mm. it's just one of those kind of old school, like I can imagine somebody on a job site cobbling this together with a drill and, right. a, and a block of wood and i think he even uses like a two by four right to make this so it's it's just cool it's well worth watching do you think he would say that i don't need my incra ibox jig then <laughs> well just keep away from uh women and small children <laughs> right uh okay so let's see we've got these national geographic links i don't know who put them in there but let's move through it um, I guess an April 2013 magazine article about a dilemma trying to save Peru's mahogany forest from illegal harvesting. Some great photography. So we'll have the links there for a text portion, photography portion. It looks like there's also a map that you could take a look at if you're interested in, in finding out about that stuff, which is always yep. interesting and good to know where your where your wood's coming from. Uh, but just be cautious about some of this stuff because it can be very easy. And we have run into this numerous times, I believe all three of us, where it's it's so easy to assume that just because this wood came from overseas that it is an illegally harvested source and you sort of just blanketly make this statement about all of these wood species. Just be careful about that because that's not always the case. Yeah, absolutely. And what I what I think is interesting about this article, um, we um, at McIlvain were actually called to to comment on this, and we declined to comment because we haven't bought mahogany from Peru in like two decades. Mm. Um, Peru is like the North Korea of lumber. <laughs> okay. just they just don't care what anybody thinks. Wow. Um, there is so much corruption going on at all levels. And um, so I think it's great what the article kind of showed what was going on. But in a lot of ways, it it showed a lot of different sides of things. But they didn't draw the line between this is just Peru we're talking about. And it makes it sound like all of South America is this way. And uh, it's just not true. So um, it's going to be very difficult to get Peruvian mahogany anywhere in the United States because of the U.S. Lacey Act. But uh, give it a read and definitely look at the pictures. It's a, it's a really well done article. Cool. Sweet. Good deal. All right. We got another link here that was sent in by Milo. I had no idea that John's son was using the computer already. <laughs> nice. <laughs> His name's Milo. Anyway. Uh, okay. There is a mysterious door found in a tree in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. It's just a cute little story about that. I, I saw a little news segment about it. Someone found a tree that had this hollowed out portion at the base and what? it's just this oddly shaped like Keebler elf hole in the tree. And oh, someone cool. actually made a door, put a couple of little hinges and must've come out at night when no one was there, attach this little door. And it's like a little gnome house and, and no one knows who did it. Awesome. <laughs> and someone just, I guess was jogging or, or riding their bike by and noticed it. And now it's just become this big thing and people are leaving notes in there. And uh, it's, it's, it's really funny, odd, and very, very cute. So someone should hang a sign on the door that says "Pit of Despair." <laughs> right. 
Well, you know, if they if it is a gnome, I think they should change the hinges around because it's way too easy to take that door off on the hinges if I want to get in. <laughs> yeah. They're on the wrong side. Yeah, it's really cute. I, I just it's something like from a video game or like like Shannon says, like a movie. Pretty cool. That is awesome. That is really cool. I'm gonna. I have a whole bunch of trees down at the, uh, the end of my street that have little nooks like that. Yeah. Maybe I should do that. We'll set up a whole little city down there. <laughs> I bet you there is. There's going to be a lot of copycat uh, things like that going on. I'm just surprised yeah. no one's ripped the thing off at this point. <laughs> right. Because people tend to be stupid and do stuff like that so they should leave like a little pizza box that'll be good just leave some food out like for like you leave food out for santa and the reindeers no just because i'm hungry right now oh, oh all right all right <laughs> well go get yourself some pizza matt yeah. all right poll of the week how important is tool matching this is one that i asked tom to do because the, here's the long and drawn out story in the forum someone posted a set of chisels for sale in the marketplace and as part of his reasoning for this was that they're relatively unused but they don't match his other chisels he's got a whole uh, Lee Nielsen a number of Lee Nielsen chisels and it's like okay and here's the thing I understand people you know first world problem and all that crap but this is a situation where he could get a comparable set of chisels that won't cost him any more if he can sell the the Japanese style chisels that he has. If he could sell them for a decent price, so it's pretty much an even swap, and it's a choice: match or not match. And he chooses to match them, so I see nothing wrong with this at <laughs> all. Um, but it spurred on a conversation in the forum that I thought would make a great poll, and that is how important is tool matching to you in terms of matching brands and not getting dissimilar handles on things? Like, is this something that bugs you or isn't it? And we had about 1,150 responses on this one. Wow. Yeah. 43% said that they look for the best tool regardless of matching. 35% said it's nice to buy in sets, but definitely not a deal breaker. 16% said I couldn't possibly care less. I like that one. (laughs) Uh, and only 5% say that it's a critical component. They can't do anything without coordinated tools. I have to think some of them probably click that as a joke, but yeah, uh, no, actually I am part of that 5%. It is. I, say, I bet the you that 5% number is higher. Yeah. I bet you there's a lot of people who are like afraid to admit that. Probably. And yeah. I, I bet you they have worn out uh, light switches and also all the uh, little tassels <laughs> on their carpets are in perfect alignment too. <laughs> Yeah, it's to me, it's one of those things where if I can match something without sacrificing quality, then I will. Why not? I would rather see things match than than not match. Things tend to work better or look better when they're in matched sets, and uh, that's that's the way I roll. I, I put myself flatly in the 35%. It's nice to buy in sets, but it's not a deal breaker for me yet. Yeah, if you can get a better tool and it doesn't match, well, then you just get the better tool. Right there with you. Sweet. Oh, right. So we've got a new segment that will probably come and go depending on uh, feedback that we get from people. But occasionally we get a comment or um, you know voicemail pertaining to something we discussed in the past. It's not a question. It's just information and a comment. So we're going to call it uh, the section will be called kickback. That's something I came up with on the fly here because I'm that good. Shannon yeah. patted me on the back for it, too, which was nice. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, kickback. Matt, we've got one email here from Stefan if you want to take a read there. Yeah, and this one is a follow-up to our, our discussion last week about master woodworkers and titles. Somebody had asked the question about it, and uh, uh, Stefan's response is, that's how I earned my master degree. It was three years as apprentice, three years as Giselle. He says there's no English word found. It's German or French for journeyman. I, I looked it up, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, he did one year of master's school, ending in theoretical and manual skill tests with the grand finale, which was designing, calculating, such as cost, material, and time, and manufacturing of the masterpiece. Now, I was allowed to carry the title master and got a nice document to hang on the wall. I thought you're interested. Now it's handled. That's how it's handled in other countries, in this case, Germany. Living now in Los Angeles and struggling with the language, I listen and I learn a lot from you guys. Well, thank you, Stefan. So, so it sounds like that's nice. And again, I think we even mentioned last week that uh, it tends to be more of a, a European thing. That's kind of yeah. old world country where you mm-hmm. kind of run into the guild kind of a thing, the setups with apprentice, journeyman, master. So. Why do you guys? Uh, why do you guys think that that doesn't really exist here in the states? Like there are some schools that you can get, you know, documentation of your uh, of, of your going through a particular course or curriculum. Uh, but I get is it not valued here? I mean, there's so many hobbyist woodworkers, but not necessarily as many master woodworkers or I'm sorry, uh, professional woodworkers doing this that it would require this type of thing. Uh, is it well, just not valued the way it is elsewhere? It's weird. I have a theory about this, and that's that because this is America, 
and we don't want to be told what to do or have titles, <laughs> even though we want to make sure that other people know that we're in charge. But we do, so. we do, we do it everywhere else, though, right? I mean, exactly. I mean, I've got well, a, I've got a degree you, in in my office that means absolutely nothing right now, but <laughs> but it's there. You know, exactly. it is heavily regulated. So I'm curious, why did woodworking or furniture making seem to escape this uh, in America? That's a very good question. You know, I think you could trace it like all the way back to colonial times because it was just you had to be able to do some of this stuff or you died. Yeah. You know, you had to be able to cut down a tree and build a house out of it. And it just became something that everyone could do. But I think that's been um, made worse very, very recently by, you know, shop class falling out of schools Mm. and just a social – I don't know, paradigm that says everyone needs to go to college and yeah. trades are now not as important. You know, that, that kind of blue collar, white collar separation that I don't even know when that started, probably the fifties maybe. Yeah. Um, and it just got worse through the seventies and eighties when suddenly everyone needed to go to college. And if you didn't go to college, you weren't worth anything, you know, to the point where I, I know guys that um, who are, are certified, whatever, whatever we call them in this country, who have tried to approach schools about teaching woodworking and the schools have actually turned them down. They yeah. don't want um, manual skills or trades in, in their school. That's what trade schools are for. Right, right, right. So it, it's, it's a problem that's only gotten worse, I think, but I think Matt's right in some respects. It's, it's, we, we don't need no title. Yeah. Um, well, and I think there aren't there titles and sort of regulations or at least a regulated system for things like plumbers and electricians, or am I wrong about that? Well, yeah, then, then you so. get into the union trades, though. A lot of those are unionized. And just sure, I'm, I'm, I'm positive there are shops out there that do woodworking that uh, probably on a, a massive scale that probably have some sort of union interaction in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you definitely, when anything unionized, they really want to make sure that, you know, you have a title and this is what you do and this is the expectations and don't have me do anything else. I know this because I'm running into it a lot at work, <laughs> even though my title doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, and I guess <laughs> well, it I, might also I, be uh, the difference between a necessity trade and right. something like furniture. And as much as we love building furniture and making stuff with wood, it's in today's day and age, it's not a necessity. It's something that, you know, we could go on living life without our furniture, but right. you need You need your electricity. You need your plumbing. You're in people's homes. Work has to be, you know, warranted in some sort of way that, that you could stand up to it. Right. You have codes. You have codes yeah, you know, exactly. that you have to go into. You don't see an inspector coming in and going, um, this mortise and tenon is a little loose. I uh, think that is not a slip this. fit, sir. Uh, just I am shutting you know. down this whole area until you have somebody <laughs> who shows me a permit for this. This is interesting. If anybody, you know, not to drag this on, but if anybody has some more information on this stuff, or maybe you are in a trade school, even if it's in a different trade and you have some perspective on this, give us a call uh, on our voicemail line or send us an email. We'd like to, obviously none of us have personal experience with this. We'd like to know more about it. All right. Got a couple of voicemails. We've got one here from Jason, and he has a question concerning circular saw blades. Hey, guys. Jason from Gilroy, California. I love the show. Please keep it up. Keep it coming. Um, I had a question for you. I have the the poor man track saw, which is a circular saw and a a shop-made jig. Um, Wonder if you could recommend a blade for me. I have the, uh, it's the Makita, it's a magnesium based saw, it's a uh, 5800 RPM spindle speed. And um, I do mostly uh, sheet goods and uh, long rips. So, wondering if you could recommend a blade. I assume it doesn't need too high of a teeth count because the higher RPM. So, appreciate the help. All right, Jason from Gilmore. That isn't Gilmore the place that has the garlic festival? Aren't there girls there? <laughs> Gilmore girl. Did I, is it say Gilmore? Yeah, I think it was Gilmore. Yeah. Uh, let me I don't see. Know, Gilmore. But I want to go to the garlic festival. Garlic. That awesome. Yeah, there's a there. Yep, it is Gilroy, not Gilmore. Doy. That's the difference. Okay, Gilroy has a garlic festival. If you ever drive through that area uh, in California, it stinks so bad. <laughs> Somebody was having a garlic festival in my lunchroom today. I actually ended up <laughs> sitting out in the car and eating. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, sorry about the sorry about the garlic smell everywhere, uh, Jason. But Circular saw blades, this Mm. really, it's like anything else, right? The higher the tooth count, the cleaner the cut, but you're going to have more friction, you know? So if you're doing long rips with the grain, he's probably going to be happier with a lower tooth count, something like a a higher quality Freud uh, makes some decent blades for the circular saw, like a 24 tooth would be good. Um, 
or, or you might even go to something like I see they have a 36 as well. Um, for me, I like a lot of teeth in my circular saw blade because I'm pretty much cutting plywood exclusively, and that may be a rip or a cross cut, uh, and I don't want any tear out. So I'm always going with 60 tooth blades myself. It sounds about like what I usually have in there. Uh, if if it's just something I just want to do really quick, yeah, I go with the low count. So I'm going to ditto your information. Ditto it? Yes. I'm nice. going to ditto it. Yes. yes. Have some. And um, I don't mean ditto as in like ghost. Like that doesn't mean that's not like code for I love you. That just means I agree with you in this situation. That's terrible. It is. It's wow. really bad. Patrick Want to go do some pottery? Mm. Not, not, not like that I don't. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> all right. Moving on to the next voicemail, we got another one here from Mike about teaching woodworking in a shop. What's up, Wood Talk guys? This is Mike from sunny L.A. Um, I have a question regarding um, teaching, and that is um, I have a pretty well-outfitted shop now. I consider myself, uh, I'd say, an intermediate-level uh, woodworker. Um, I have a lot of friends who are complete beginners who have mentioned to me that they'd like um, me to teach them, uh, some woodworking things. Uh, I was wondering, is there any way that you can think of, um, of having people come into my shop and teach them woodworking, um, legally without, you know, to protect myself without having to get full blown insurance? Um, just, uh, wanted to know if any of you guys had gone through this before. I'm sure everybody's had a, a friend that wanted to learn. So, um, any advice would be appreciated. Thanks, guys. See ya. So my first thing is, Mike, how close are you with your friends? Do you really make them angry <laughs> Don't that you're sue that me. concerned about it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't sue me, please. It's a very oh, wow. interesting question, though. If he's branching out and maybe doing a uh, you know, friend of a friend, maybe right. you're one, one, one area removed from, from a true friend, you might have these concerns. And heck, you know what? Somebody cuts off their finger. Maybe they're not your friend anymore. Yeah, yeah. You might want to first. You might want to double check your homeowner's insurance for just such an emergency to make yeah. sure you're paid up on that one. Now, let, let's preface this conversation by saying we're not lawyers. We don't even play lawyers on TV. Thank you. That's a very good thing to put in there before we go any further with this. Yeah, that is. You know, the only thing I could think of is if you really got into it, maybe have some sort of uh, um, waiver written up. I mean, uh, you can get those online. You could, you know, basically you can have one pretty much pre-made. I mean, Samantha pulls up things for model releases and stuff like that all the time, which are pretty standard. Mm -hmm. If you were really worried about it, that might be one way to go. Like, you know, Hey, I'm going to show you how to make a cut sign here first and then go from there. Otherwise I don't, that's really, that's kind of interesting. I've I've never been in that position because nobody has ever approached me to teach them anything in my shop. (laughs) Well, Well, I've uh, go ahead, Shannon. I looked into it briefly because I have had some people who have asked me about taking hand tool school like to real world. And um, I actually consulted uh, a, a lawyer. I was seeing, well, technically he's a tax accountant, <laughs> but <laughs> as, as, he's a lawyer, but I, he's also an accountant. My lawyer whatever. slash doctor slash butcher. <laughs> he's only concerned that you actually <laughs> does pay the 6% versus what would happen to you if it got cut. Long story short, he consulted somebody in his firm and he said, if you put together a pretty comprehensive waiver, Mm. you should be okay. He says where it gets to be a problem with anything is if you're like doing a lot of this, then it becomes a higher risk at that point. And I never really pursued it any further than that. Um, So, well, and I've heard because I taught classes out of my shop for a period of time. I did it uninsured and had a waiver. And had a lot of faith in that waiver. And then someone told me, you know what? I don't know how true this is. Again, I don't know law, but that a lot of times waivers are meaningless. And that if someone truly gets injured in there, that they may have a path by which to sue you just because they sign something that says I won't sue you or, you know, so I don't know if that's true, but it's, I wouldn't put all my faith in a piece of paper. Definitely consult a, a, a professional to find out what you need to do to protect yourself. Chances are you're going to find out that you probably need a waiver as well as liability insurance if you want to be completely covered. But you have to kind of weigh your options. Liability insurance is going to be expensive and probably confusing. And you may not have enough people coming in to even justify it. So maybe pick your friend's wisely (laughs) pick your trainees not your friends pick your trainees wisely on on who you allow to come in and on what basis um i mean if you're at the point where you're going to have them sign a piece of paper you know they're probably not it's not like you're teaching your brother necessarily or something like that so right just be careful you know because you don't want to land in hot water 
Yeah, definitely. The, or maybe you could feel out, like, you know, find out if they have a, a history of litigation. Um, you can look <laughs> that up, maybe. That might be a good way to go. There You'll you know go. that you want to avoid that do particular a, individual. Yeah, a nice pre-screening would be good. There you go. Um, I will tell you, though, I do know some schools who shall remain nameless, who don't have liability insurance, who simply rely on a waiver to yeah. to cover their butts. Yep, I've been to a few of those. I mean, I think in the long run, uh, and that's exactly what my guy was saying, is that piece of paper will only protect you so far. And I think in order for that piece of paper to protect you far enough, it would have to be many pages. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, so that's it's, it. <laughs> it's like, sit down, read through this document, and then sign it. Oh, and by the way, nice to meet you. Yeah. 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 So, so even if you're just doing the document route, again, professional, have somebody draft that up. It's going to cost a few bucks, but it'll be worth it if it uh, gives you that peace of mind. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our shmemails. We have uh, one here from Dustin. I'll start it off. He says, my parents have asked me to build a cabinet for their bathroom. I'm looking for advice on building the doors without any large machinery. I have the small tools that I need to build the main case of the cabinet, router, circular saw, miter saw, etc., but was wondering how I could cut out accurate rails and styles for a frame and panel door uh, without a table saw or a bandsaw. Excuse me, fighting a burp. I would love to use this project as an excuse to buy a table saw, uh, but somehow I don't think that I can sneak the expense into the cost of the project. Dustin. Well, you know, that sucks. <laughs> Mom and dad, nice. that bathroom vanity you want is going to cost you $4,000. <laughs> I do need a saw stop, so 4000 oh, Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that that is a little bit tricky because it's hard to get that sort of consistent rip cut without something that has a fence to guide it. So if I were in a pinch, I would rip a straight edge using a circular saw and some sort of a track to guide it. Even a shop made track will work and then try to rip the pieces off. And, and it's a little bit tricky because when you set up your, um, you set up your track, you have to account for the blade thickness this way so that the off cut is your keeper piece. Yeah, because if you go the other way and you have your uh, keeper piece under your rail that you make, the width isn't going to work out. You only have a few inches to work with, so it won't balance on that. So it's going to be tricky, but chances are if you measure it out properly and you have a track to guide it, you could set that up on uh, on the lines and be fairly accurate and get a pretty good uh, two fairly parallel edges. I think you could probably pull it off. It may not be 100%, but you should be able to get pretty close with that. That's what I would do. It sounds like good advice to me. The, the only thing I'll add to this and what I emailed the Dustin was um, don't overlook like going and buying dimensional lumber. Yeah. I mean, dimensional lumber is sized specifically for things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, your one by twos, your one by threes and one by fours, those sizes, that's well, I shouldn't say it's sized for that, but cabinets and face frames tend to be sized off of dimensional lumber. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole other thing. It depends on whether or not you can get the species you want. But yeah, exactly. That then, might be something else to look for. Then you just got to cut it to length and you're done. Nice. And I defy you by saying that you have to have a fence to cut a straight line. It's sacrilege. Explain yourself, sir. I'm, he doesn't like fences of any kind. Remember I'm not talking. Plane I have. I'm not talking hand tool guy straight. I'm talking machine guy straight. There's hand a difference. Guy straight. There's a that's difference. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Yep, that's about <laughs> close enough as far as I'm concerned. Good enough. Hey, oh, looks good. Move on. <laughs> All right. I'm not talking Roy Underhill Street here. I mean, seriously. All right, go ahead, Matt. Uh, moving on. <laughs> I just dug myself a nice hole there. Send all email to Shannon at Renaissance Woodworker. <laughs> all right, well, let's move on to this next question. This one comes in from Don, and it looks like he's giving us multiple choice on the back end. So let's find out what the question <laughs> actually is. Uh, Don says, I keep my chisels sharp using best practices, but I find they do not hold up to the rigors of mortising. I have tried 30 and 25 degrees and find they lose their edges in just a few minutes. 30 seems a little bit better, but not much. This is a starter set of the clear yellow handled Buck Brothers beat me ups. Oh, I think we found the problem. And they just don't seem to be holding an edge. Actually, you know, the funny thing is I shouldn't say too much about the, the these quote unquote Buck Brothers beat me ups because I believe that uh, uh, Bob over at uh, um, Popular Woodworking. Why am I forgetting his last name? Lang. Lang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he has he was he actually has an old Buck Brothers that he swears by. If I remember right, it was an article a while ago. So the, the big thing is here is uh, what does he seem to be running into with the, the actual edges? One thing I might suggest is anytime that you're having a problem with the edge holding it, it, the, uh, the, the sharpness as long as you want it, 
uh, one suggestion might be bump it up to like maybe 35 degrees because he says he mm. tends to keep it like 30 seems to be a little bit better. Go ahead and take that little extra step. Take it up to 35. In fact, most of my chisels right now, which are the old marples, the blue handles, which you can't seem to find anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taken those up to 35 and I've noticed that they definitely last a lot longer, including when I do actually use it for something like uh, doing a little mortise chopping in there. Uh, so hopefully that will actually maybe provide a little bit of a, a benefit in there because he's basically asking, am I using it too shallow of an angle? Am I in need of an upgrade in my chisels? Am I looking at different chisel scenarios, uh, angles for mortising and such versus pairing and dovetail finesse work? Am I turning into a wood wood nerd and fussing about nothing yes. or all of the above? <laughs> Definitely a wood nerd, but this is the stuff that we enjoy fussing about, the <laughs> details, five degrees. How much of a difference does that make? In this case, it might be a lot. I mean, he, yeah. he I, I edited it down a little bit, but he's working in red oak primarily. So if he's mortising into red oak, that is going to beat up a chisel. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, 35 may actually, especially if he wants to keep using the beat-me-ups, uh, 35 may get, get him a little bit further. But like we've talked about this in the past, chisel angles and stuff. And Shannon, I think you gave us a good rundown on it at one point in the past. You know, you may want those more shallow angles for those other tasks, but mm-hmm, you got to yeah. just weigh what you've got and what you need to do. And if it serves your purpose, go to 35. Yeah. Well, in, in swapping emails with Don um, and answering this, turns out when he's talking about the rigors of mortising, he was talking about chopping out like a hinge mortise. I was oh, thinking oh. like tenon mortise. Yeah, yeah. That's right. what I was thinking too. So yeah. I, because I, I, I launched into my typical, you know, 30, like you were saying, Matt, 35 degrees. Um, I like a, a 25 degree primary bevel and a wider 35 degree second uh, secondary bevel, and then a micro on top of that. And there's I'm not going to go into all that right now, but that's for like one inch, two inch deep mortises, like yeah. for tenons. Um, it, I guess it really depends on when he got those Buck Brothers chisels. The one that Bob Lang has, I'm pretty sure, is pre World War II. Um, <laughs> different metal, <laughs> different steel. Um, the Home Depot Buck Brothers ones, they just it's not good steel. It just doesn't hold an edge, no matter what you do. You can increase the the bevel angle, and that will help. But when I heard that he was just doing like hinge mortises, mm-hmm. it's like, dude, something's wrong with yeah, those chisels. You're only going an eighth a of an inch. In. Flag. That's, that's so a problem. We, we we probably can add this to kickback further on because I know he went out and bought some new Stanleys okay. um, and he's doing some testing on them. So Don, when you listen to this, please give us the results of your testing and we'll add that into the kickback segment. It, the, nice. Like Stanley's is in like the plastic handle one, big box Stanley's or the, the newer one. Um, like the, uh, no, Stanley's talking about sweetheart. the writer of, of Spider-Man. The, the, yeah. yeah Stanley. Stanley. Yeah. I didn't know he had uh, chisels. True he, believers. he got the Stanley sweetheart 750 chisels. Uh, okay, cool. So yeah. I believe he's referring to the new ones they just made. Yes. In fact, he is referring to the new ones they cool. just made. Well, let us know, Don, give us some kickback. Would you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kick it back. Okay. Let's see. Nick has a question. He says, I'm having a problem when I'm trying to plane boards that are less than a quarter inch thick. Mm. I have a couple of bench stops that are in the one eighth to one quarter inch height. But if there's any cup to the board, it will just pop right over the stop. I've been using carpet tape to fasten it to the bench top. And that is a pita. Mm, that sounds delicious. A pain oh. in the ace. <laughs> I love it with cucumber sauce. Oh, Mm, good Greek wow. food. Focus. Sorry, go ahead. It's dinner time. I'm hungry. I'm always afraid my thin boards will break when I try to break that adhesive tape bond. Do you guys have any other suggestions? Um, it, I use I use double stick tape all the time. I think the issue is carpet tape is like, it's a beast of tape. Mm. That stuff holds better than any other tape I, I know. Um, go and get yourself some Turner's tape, but specifically get the narrow stuff, like the half inch wide uh, Turner's tape. Don't grab because they make like two inch and one inch wide stuff. Uh, if you grab a narrow one, you don't have as much surface area. It will hold just fine while planing, but it's not such a pain in the butt to pull it off the bench. Um, the other thing is um, most people say you want to put the cup side or excuse me, the, the cup side up so you can plane from the high spots. Um, but when you're talking about a thin board like this, the board's just going to flex on you anyway. And as he mentions, it's going to, um, lever out over the top of that stop, put the cup side down so that it drives the edge down into the bench top and plane it, you know, plane from the middle and work yourself flat from there. That's going to help a little bit, but in the end, 
uh, Turner's tape is your your best solution, I think. Where do you get the half inch stuff? I've only seen the inch wide. Uh, I've gotten it at Woodcraft. Woodcraft, okay, I'll take a look because yeah, um, half of the time I don't need the full width. If I'm just yeah. like taping down a template, I would love to get something that's a little bit narrower. So I'll yeah, because that. that wide stuff, I'm like, my God, you need like a crowbar yeah. to pull this stuff off. <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to say I got it through Craft Supplies to WoodTurnersCatalog.com, yeah. but most recently I I bought it at my local Woodcraft. Cool. I'll take a look. It's a sticky situation to be in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh. Terrible. All right, next one we've got from Eric. He says, quick question on bent laminations. I'm planning to build a cherry coffee table with an oval shape. I've decided to build the curved aprons using bent lamination. I've got a great bandsaw, so I know I can get a high-quality eighth-inch layer starting each new cut with a freshly jointed face. Question is, how can I keep up, clean up the rough bandsawed side uh, of these thin strips without a drum sander? Is it careful? What? I'm terrible yeah. reading today. Is a careful pass with a random orbit sander to get the bulk of the ridges down sufficient? Do I even need to clean up the sawn side? I would recommend cleaning up the sawn side. The problem is you're going to have to glue those layers together. And if you have a, a excessively washboard face on there from the bandsaw, unless you've got something like the Resaw King, which tends to leave a pretty good quality cut, you probably do have that washboard effect. It's not exactly the greatest glue surface. And when you see those pieces bond together, you're, you're going to be able to see that in the glue line. Now for the apron of a table, how much does that really matter? That's up right. to you because really you're not going to see the edge at all. Exactly. Right. The edge is going to face the tabletop and the other uh, side is going to face the ground. And unless someone gets on their knees to take a look at it, it's not going to matter. I, those ridges are usually fine enough that I actually think the glue would hold it together fairly well. It's not ideal, but it, depending on the amount of washboarding effect you get, it may or may not be a problem. Just a quick pass with the random orbit sander could give you enough flat surface for it to work. Overall, though, this is the reason I bought a drum sander, because that really is the best tool for the job. But that said, uh, this is interesting because it ties in similar to, uh, you know, the, the power tool side of thin stock planing and what, how you deal with it. If you have a planer, most planers top out at about quarter a quarter inch in thickness. That's considered safe. But there is a way that a lot of folks use to run thinner stock through there. And it involves creating a single layer platform that goes over your tables. Uh, you could just use like a melamine material, wax it up real good so it's nice and slippery, put a hook on either end so it hooks on your in-feed and out-feed tables, and you can actually plane thinner stock this way. And it just makes it more stable so it doesn't, uh, and slides so on this very slick surface, slides right through. Of course, there's a limit to that too. So I don't, every planer is going to be a little bit different. The wood is going to be a little bit different. You got to be careful, experiment a little bit and don't freak out if you hear and the whole thing, (laughs) (laughs) the whole piece of wood just explodes. Uh, But you can kind of push the limit and get down closer to that eighth of an inch. And and maybe if you can just give it one little pass through the planer for cleanup, then you're all, you're all good at that point. So that might be a good alternative to think about. Definitely. I, think I like this to call is that one out. of those perfect situations where why are we making this so difficult? Just grab your smoothing plane and run it over the face and you're good to go. Yeah, that could work too. I mean, this is removing like thousands to two thousands of an inch thick shavings. I think you'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, as long as he's getting a good, fairly even cut off of the bandsaw and he, yeah. you know, because then it's, it's, it's even. All those high spots, even though you got a bunch of ridges, the high spots are all the same height and the low spots tend to be the same height. So all right. you need to do is remove it until there's no more ridges and now you, you have a fairly flat and even surface to work with. Right. And, and I don't want to come off as the hand tool guy who would use a hand tool. Yes, you do. Honestly, okay, yes, I do. Honestly, I just think this is one of those instances where we're just making it too complicated, building sleds and all this other stuff. When Not necessarily, you know, though, because just one uh, one layup is going to be numerous pieces. So to yeah. hand plane all of them, if you wanted to do it, is fine. But I'd rather take you know 40 seconds and pass them through a planer than use a, a smoothing plane to do it all. It's a lot. It's a lot of yeah, whatever. <laughs> Shannon and I are at odds today. This is great. I think people love this. People love this anyway. All right, Matt, yep. you're next. Okay, let's see here. This one comes in from uh, Milo. Hey, Milo, sending us a lot of stuff. Hey, Milo. Interesting. It's so great. Right, so There's a little Milo tiny asking, I am. I, uh, Milo is actually stating first. I am torn between two spaces which I have available to move into. The first is the garage. Pluses include flat cement floor and 220 uh, volt electricity. Cons include having to build a wall to block off the back of the garage for the wife. Uh, is he 
blocking her in? Blocking her in? Isn't that a, I was going to say, cask of Amontillado, right? Interesting. Maybe uh, people keep a lookout in case you happen to find something like this and the husband's name is Milo and he can't figure out his wife is. (laughs) So the second half of the statement is the the second area is the 160-square-foot freestand shop I'm building out back. Pluses include it's completely empty so I can set up tools as I like and it's separate from the house so noise is reduced for the folks inside. It's right behind the garage so I could run electricity back to it. Cons, of course, include small size and no electricity yet. Uh, you know, to me, this is a total toss-up because it sounds like one way or the other, you're going to have to do some some work in there to get it set up exactly the way you want to. I mean, if you have to build a wall for the backside of the garage, whether or not you're locking your wife inside that area, uh, you're still doing quite a bit of extra work in here. And it almost sounds to me like somehow running electricity into an area that's almost kind of set up a little bit, even though perhaps square footage-wise it's a little bit smaller. I don't know. There's a, there's a part of me that almost seems like that is going to be more of a pro. And especially if you are concerned about noise from the rest of the family, like your your working in the shop is going to affect them. There's that part of it that almost thinks for the sake of family happiness and unity and your sense of being able to step out into a shop area and have just a dedicated space to you without having to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. I would probably suck it up and actually run the electricity out there and probably be happier for doing that. I agree, man. And it's nice to have a really, really nice to have your own space to work in that doesn't have to share space with other things. And you still have your garage for the stuff you need a garage for. Yep. You know, to me, that's the best way to go. And even if he has to set up temporarily in the garage while he's building the shop uh, and then get the electric out there, and I would go freestanding. Yeah, I mean, I if, he if says he's already building this freestanding thing, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> Use both. Yeah. yeah Land there you go. Come on. Don't give up any space at all. Shop one, shop two. I like exactly. that. Exactly. You know, Ooh, you can perfect. put your lumber rack in the garage, there maybe you your your planer, and then you can you don't have to run that much electricity out to the shed because you could put like a workbench out there and, you know, some of the lower voltage tools. There you go. Well, you know, if he's walling his wife into the garage, why doesn't he just take her stall? I mean, Seriously, she doesn't yeah. there. <laughs> You're not using this, are you, honey? <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. (laughs) Uh, You're up, Shannon. Oh, too laugh, laughing too hard. Can't speak. Okay. This is uh, uh, from Jeremy, I think. Yeah, here we are. I'm getting into hand tool woodworking, and I was wondering if you could shed light on techniques for creating stopped grooves and dados for hand tools. Hmm. I have seen several methods, including using a drill to bore out the stopped ends and a plow plane to cut the groove. Using chisels and an azabiki, I think saw. That's, that's the saw Japanese. we. Put, that's the, uh, the sauce we put on our uh, on our pitas. Ooh, yes, azabiki. <laughs> right. The Japanese mortising saw. Uh, let's see, Paul Sellers' method: cutting the walls with either a dovetail or a tenon saw. Should I try to master one of the above methods, or are there alternatives you know of? Um, well, you kind of have hit all the major. <laughs> ways of doing this any other way of doing it would be some sort of theme and variation of what you kind of already mentioned i am a big proponent of trying a bunch of different methods and kind of drawing your conclusions from there um i've done all of these definitely saw or drill out the the relief area and then work with the plot plane i've drilled out the relief area and sawn out the walls um you know it comes down to speed accuracy precision what you really need having tried kind of each one of them you can sometimes um, match the method to the particular scenario. There are times when I it just doesn't need to be that precise, so I saw out the walls and chop out the base with a with a chisel, and I'm done in like a minute. There are other times it has got to be hyper precise and it's more visible, so I'm going to go with something like a plow plane. Um, so not to cop out here, but I'd say try them all, and you know, <laughs> apply as needed. the The truth of the matter is, none of these is that difficult. That it's going to take uh, a lot of work to quote unquote master the method. Mm-hmm. Cool beans. All right. Last one we have here from Larry. He says, I want to apply armor seal over newly stained wood. How long do I wait before application? Maybe I should ask how to apply. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, armor seal is just basically a wiping pre pre diluted wiping polyurethane. It's one of the, one of the best ones out there. Um, how long should he wait before applying it over stained wood? Uh, wait till the stain is dry. And 
um, that's really about it. Like if you could, <laughs> if you could yeah. feel the surface and it doesn't feel clammy, and that's a lot of times people do have trouble telling when a stain is dry. If you touch any surface made of wood around the house, touch a piece of furniture, it doesn't feel like anything, right? It just feels room temperature. If you touch something that's still a little bit wet or a finish is curing, it tends to feel not just a little bit tacky, but you'd also sort of have this like clammy sensation when you touch it. So, so you can tell by, by just feeling it whether the stain is dry. Once the stain is dry, then you should have no problem proceeding with the armor seal, uh, which also dries fairly quickly itself. Um, in terms of application, well, I'm glad you asked. There's actually a DVD <laughs> that I made years ago called The Simple Varnish Finish, and uh, I'll put the link in the show notes for that if you'd like to, to take a look. But applying a wiping varnish is definitely something that you don't need a DVD to learn how to do. Um, you're just going to use some scrap cotton rags, fold them up, and dip and wipe. I mean, it's fairly straightforward, and the instructions on the can give you a pretty good idea uh, what to do. And if you watch, I, I don't know how many projects on my website that I, I used that method to apply Armor Seal. So there's a lot of resources out there. Just uh, I might just be wrong, but I think maybe I heard this from you, Mark, maybe in one of your interviews, but mm-hmm. isn't the, the infamous tongue oil used on every Woodworks episode just Armor Seal? Uh-huh. Well, it might also be Seal-A-Cell. <laughs> I mean, he, obviously he didn't want to, he couldn't use a brand name finish, so he just called it Tongue Oil. Yeah. And he wiped it on and wiped it off. Exactly. So, it, that's because the cat had his tongue, he couldn't say what it was really actually going to be. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And and I think, uh, David, I think used to use a lot of um, Seal-A-Cell product, and there's two of them, Seal-A-Cell and Armor Seal. Armor Seal is generally considered the top coat. Your seal cell is kind of like your initial sealer coats made with, um, you know, probably softer resins in the mix. Ultimately, I've cut seal cell completely out of my finishing regimen. Um, the only reason I would ever even think to use it is if it changed the appearance. Ultimately, I want the strongest finish possible on every layer of my finish. So that's why I use Armor Seal. But if, let's say, Seal-A-Cell brought a little color to the party and made it, you know, maybe it brought out, uh, you're using some figured maple or something, and it brings out and pops the grain a little bit better, then there would be justification to use it. And I've tried some tests, and I cannot see the difference uh, using two coats of Seal-A-Cell versus two coats of Armor Seal. I just don't see it. So for me... I don't either. I stopped buying this stuff because I thought i was being scammed <laughs> yeah well why you know it's it's the whole to me it's like the whole uh, shampoo rinse and repeat instructions you know um if you're rinsing and repeating you're going to go through your bottle of shampoo faster so why not uh so Wait, for, what what see I, go you're still washing your hair right now aren't you yes i am <laughs> i just can't stop until i run out um but armor seal is the stuff of choice for me personally you know, I heard uh, something that makes a really amazing applicator are the new Wood Talk Online T-shirts. <laughs> yes. Buy them by the dozen. <laughs> they but work out amazing. Maybe we should start selling them in that format. Just like throw 12 of them in a box. Sell them there like you that. Go. Box, box O shirts. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So there you go. We've got a couple of uh, iTunes reviews. We'd like to thank who? We want to thank Needs More Plants, Zignot, The Zanker, Trevor Green, and now then, Woodman, who had this to say, love the show, especially the listener question shows. It's really cool that you're doing it once a week now. On Thursdays, I turn off my Pandora radio to tune into your show. Keep it up, guys. Loyal listener and longtime carpenter. Thank you very much. Great review. Thank you. Absolutely. If you want to leave us a review, you can go to iTunes, look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and then you can tell Matt how much you like his awesome saw stop poster. Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, I actually, I had to take it down because it was blocking way too much sunlight. Like all of it was an eclipse. Right. There you go. Uh, remember now today's show is sponsored by, who do we have? Festool at festoolusa.com. Go check them out. And also our very own Shannon's company. We talked about this, uh, <laughs> the whole conflict <laughs> of interest thing, but Hey, they paid us money. They get an ad. Uh, it's hardwood to go. <laughs> and, I, and it was actually the Genesis for the kickback section. Kickback. <laughs> that's true. Uh, hardwoodtogo.com where you can get all of your hardwood to go which is kind of something I got from the title I like my hardwood to stay in the in the shop I don't like and it that's to go really anywhere. the moral of this whole episode if you pay us money you get an ad <laughs> that's true we're not uh, we're not too proud um, I'm noticing here you guys also have a newsletter that you could sign up what is the content of said newsletter Shannon do you guys like send out specials or what can yeah. I expect yeah, well, um, the the whole business model is reliant. I, you know, I don't really go and buy specific lumber. I buy 
whatever the wholesalers have in in, in um, overstock. Mm. So it's kind of like Matt, your your box of your ten pound box or whatever. Mm-hmm. I get a you know a truckload full of whatever. So I don't really ever know what I'm getting. I can sometimes place requests. So when I get new shipments in, you know, I, I just go hog wild posting stuff. And I mm. usually will send out, there's an automated feature of my shopping cart that allows me to kind of list all the new stuff. So um, I try to get that out once a month. Um, in fact, I better get one out yesterday if I'm going to stick to mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's mostly just specials. I'm not going to try to, you know, turn it into a blog list or something like that. Cool. Well, that's good. That's that's the kind of thing I like to know. I've got a couple of them, like local stores that I subscribe to, and it's always nice to know when something's on sale and you can go pick some stuff up. You ever yep. get nervous like when a truck shows up and it's all full of pallets and you're like, I think I got duped. <laughs> we got a special on pallet wood this week, folks. Uh, we pay you to take it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got a couple of recurring donors that we'd like to thank. Actually, just one, not a couple. Jason M., thank you so much for your generous donation. And if you want to sign up as a recurring donor, you could do that. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the left-hand column, and you'll see a couple of links where you could sign up for a $2, $5, or $10 a month recurring donation. And that helps uh, That helps helps keep Matt in stretchy pants, frankly. Oh, uh, let me tell you something. That elastic is wearing out in these old ones. I've got to do something about it. One more accidental uh, fall down, and they're not going to believe that it's the elastic <laughs> that's doing it. Right. All right. Uh, Matt, how about you give them the contact info, and we'll get the heck out of here. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure that you probably heard something today that you really want to make a comment about or another question or maybe a topic suggestion. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And, of course, you can leave us a comment over on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or, again, any previous episode, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And with that said, I'm hungry. Me too, Me man. Too. Now I want Greek, but I have a feeling mm. there's no Greek in my future. Mm, no, I think the closest thing I have is Greek yogurt, and I had that for lunch. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. See Bye. ya. Oh, yeah. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!